Nej. <laughs> say one word and you're already I'm laughing sorry. at me. No, yeah, because it's just that's that's quite the way to introduce the show. It's like, hi. All right, guys, thanks. Bye. Well, I wasn't going to say goodbye immediately. No, Don't but say it's that just, until four o'clock. I, I just almost every time you hear you listen to a show on CGW, the introduction is, "Hi, I'm Brett McGarry with Tristan Field Jones or whatever it is," and uh, or there's a little you're listening to, but just Brett is, "Hi." It wasn't quite like that. It was more of a, a friendlier, hi. It, it amused me, that's all. I'm Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. Hi! Tristan is in for Greg Mackling, Kelly Moore, and Tristan Field-Jones. How did that little experiment go? It went very well. Uh, yeah, honestly, that's really all I have to say about it. It was great. We had some great um, conversation from our listeners, uh, some fantastic uh, texts and calls. Plenty to discuss for sure, and uh, yeah, it went very smoothly. Yeah, Excellent. Greg, Greg Mackling sent us an email afterwards. Said he was uh, he th- he wanted to thank us for the great radio that we provided in his absence. And Greg, I say thank you. And I say to Greg, stop paying attention to work stuff and enjoy your vacation. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. I think Greg has a bit of a tough time disconnecting, but uh, regardless, Greg, I really appreciate it. Yes, um, and uh, I appreciate everybody who filled in for me while I was away, including you and Kelly Moore. It was a, a ni- some nice time off, and I actually I just want to provide a little bit of a debrief later on in the show at 3.35. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you about, we did the interview a couple of weeks ago about Oak Island Resort near Verdon, and that's where the, uh, the 19th annual Laker Classic took place this past weekend, and I just want to tell you how spectacular it was. So we'll get into that a little bit more. And why my whole body is in pain right now. Still, as a couple of days removed from the tournament, it still hurts. Getting old, I don't like it. So, we'll talk about that. Oh, and and, uh, unrelated note, but I thought I should mention this. Uh, I was uh, talking with my mom yesterday, and um, she uh, gave me very specific instructions. She said, Tristan, you be nice to Brett McGarry. (laughs) Really? Yeah, she told me that. I said, I'm very nice to him. What are you talking about? I hear the things you say to him on air. Brett is a very nice man, and I think he does a great job hosting the show. So you treat him with respect. (laughs) To which I said, Mom, if you knew half the things Brett told me off the air, you wouldn't be saying that. I don't care what he says off the air. I care what you say on the air. So anyway. (laughs) Well, on the subject of moms talking about McGarry and or Tristan and McGarry, I remember my couple of weeks, the last time we worked together, my mom says, that Tristan sounds like he really hates you. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Now that we've got all that stuff out of the way. Oh, boy. Brad already needs a vacation. Shall we? <laughs> yeah, I think it was your 20 minutes. <laughs> He's like, oh, I need time off already. <clears throat> okay. All right. So, um, we have at 2 o'clock... The importance of digital literacy and why it matters in the modern workplace. So we're going to talk about that at 2 o'clock. It is an important subject, I think, because regardless of the workplace you are in, there has to be some sort of a digital component. Mm -hmm. If you own a business, you pretty much have to have a website. I think find it difficult to imagine that any business can thrive without one. Even if it's a small business, you're not even a chain. I mean, nowadays, it's the really the exception to the rule to not have a, a website for your business. Again, even if it's just one of those, you know, boutique stores in Osborne Village, mm-hmm. you almost always have to have a website for that, and it doesn't matter how small or big you are. Or at least, at the very least, a web presence. Sure. So whether it's 
on the internet social medias, as I like mm-hmm. to say. You have to have to have some sort of digital literacy, so we'll talk about that at 2 o'clock. At 2.30, a man named Kyle Mason stepping down as executive director of the North End Family Centre. So he's going to join us in studio to tell us a bit about his decision, about what the North End Family Centre is, for those who don't know. And then at 3 o'clock, we've already discussed it today, the Manitoba Moose looking for a new anthem singers, so we will have that conversation with the Moose at 3 o'clock. But right now, Tristan, many Canadians not happy with Ottawa. Oh boy, this is, uh, and this is an ongoing situation, and I'm quite certain our listeners already have things to say about this, but we've got some Ipsos polling uh, done for Global News, and we also had an exclusive story earlier today uh, regarding some asylum seekers uh, at the Quebec border who were found in possession of child pornography. Mm. Uh, now, we here at Manitoba, certainly near the Emerson Crossing, have been dealing with an influx of uh, asylum seekers, and that is an issue that is top of mind for many Manitobans in those small border towns uh, near the American border. So, um, uh, so this Ipsos polling is more is specifically related to Quebec, but you can it's super easy to uh, extrapolate that uh, for the rest of the country. And the polling simply says that most people think, most Canadians think Ottawa isn't in control of the refugee issue. Uh, And uh, 62% of respondents don't think the Trudeau government has a solid plan to respond to the influx of refugees, uh, among others. Now, before I go through all the numbers here, Brett, I've got a quick clip uh, from our friends at Global News regarding the findings of this survey. According to exclusive Ipsos polling, 63% of us believe Prime Minister Justin Trudeau lacks a solid plan to fix the situation. Many Canadians also doubt whether those crossing into Quebec illegally are legitimate refugees. 67% believe the migrants are trying to skip the legal immigration process. When it comes to calling in the army to house the asylum seekers while their applications are reviewed, 56% say that's a sign that things are out of control and being poorly managed by the Trudeau government. And a slim majority, 56%, feel the government is not doing enough to protect our borders. So those results... Uh, pretty definitive when it comes to a lot of the Canadian public. I think, uh, and you mentioned this, Brett, maybe we're not so uh, uh, upset about people coming to our country, but it's more so the way that it's happening. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Ipsos uh, pollster, Mike College, <clears throat> excuse me, was is quoted as saying, I don't think people are panicked or worried about migrants pouring over the border. I do think that for Canadians, it's about fairness and following process. So there is some fear that there are people who aren't seeking asylum or aren't trying to escape a situation that they think is is bad. They just want to move to Canada and they're trying to jump the queue by getting in the asylum seeking line as opposed to going through the appropriate channels to try to move to the great white north. So of course in true Canadian fashion we just want people to make sure that the rules are being followed and that we're being fair and no one's cutting in line. And I think that that is, uh, that, that is to me, the most Canadian finding of right. this. It sort of, it, it amused me, I think, more than anything. It's, uh, you know, just so Canadian to, oh, let's just, let's all be very polite to each other. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why, I like, why our country is so great. But the, it is disturbing, I think, when you think that, when you see that more than half of Canadians really think that Ottawa kind of doesn't know what it's doing on this. Well, and... and uh, 
regardless of um, your thoughts when it comes to people coming over the border, uh, you can just look down south, for instance. How did Donald Trump get a lot of his support? Because he was huge on tackling the problem of illegal immigration between Mexico and the U.S. Now, what has happened here in Canada, if you will, with the Trudeau government is not that they've been ignoring the situation, but they've really maintained this message of, well, everything's okay for now and we'll keep an eye on it. But that's not a message that a lot of people at the Quebec border or the Manitoba border want to hear. And uh, frankly, if another candidate from another party decides to tackle this asylum seeker issue head on, they, they would probably stand to gain a lot of support because I would argue a lot of people near those border communities feel that the federal government is ignoring them. And when you have the prime minister of our country saying, <clears throat> we're going back months now, but saying that Canada will be welcoming, and it was essentially an invitation, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, the the Northern Star, as, the Rolling, as Rolling Stone magazine calls Justin Trudeau, the Northern Star says, come on down, more or less. I realize I'm paraphrasing wildly, but says, come on down. But they're without a plan in place that, uh, I don't know. Well, so here's what, and, and unfortunately also today, so this polling came out today. And, and meanwhile, another exclusive global news story, refugee claimants were found in possession of child pornography. Uh, and this is according to, uh, uh, from a memorandum to officers of the Canadian Border Services Agency, uh, one of the assistant directors outlined a set of guidelines for officer near one of the Quebec border crossings, which come into effect immediately and will remain until national guidelines are put in place. So at this moment, we don't have any national guidelines. But uh, according to uh, the information obtained by Global News, they recently found four or five refugee claimants from Haiti in possession of child pornography. And that's what resulted in this memorandum being sent out. And again, that's also in conjunction with uh, last week, Canadian government deploying soldiers near there because there were hundreds upon hundreds of claimants crossing the border. So, and and in Manitoba, you may have also heard reports that some of the people crossing the border have criminal records or have questionable pasts. And now granted, our laws simply don't allow anyone to cross the border. Hey, you're a Canadian citizen. There's a process in place. But ultimately, some of these people crossing into the border are not upstanding citizens. And that, in my mind, and in the minds of a lot of people, I think, is a problem. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. We would like to hear what you think about this and have your feedback. You can either text that number, 204-780-6868, or you can call 204-780-6868. Are you one of these Canadians? More than half of Canadians think Ottawa is not in control of the refugee issue in Quebec. And maybe not just Quebec, but across the country. We've had problems in Manitoba. There have been problems in Alberta. What do you think? And at the same time, maybe what should Canada do to to protect the border? I mean, we have the, you know, it's the largest land-crossing border on the planet, right? Yeah, the, and I believe it is the the biggest uh, land crossing that is not um, uh, guarded by the military on either side, essentially. I mean, unprotected is not the best way to describe it, but effectively, there 
there's very little, if any, military presence on either sides. It's all civilian agencies that take care of that, which is remarkable considering, you know, most in most situations, I mean, just look at North and South Korea as an example, that the militarized zone there is, it would be insane trying to cross something like that. And that's, there's other countries that are in that position too. So it is a massive border. It is a peaceful border generally, but now we have these issues. So yeah, give us a shout, 204-780-6868. Call or text us, and we'll be happy to hear from you. You can also email brett at cjob.com or tristan at cjob.com. We will pause and have a look at your forecast and then take your phone calls. On Tristan and McGarry, your forecast up next. Brett McGarry, Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling. A new poll shows the majority of Canadians are skeptical of the government's control of the refugee situation. Barry is at 204-780-6868. And what do you think, Barry? What is your your thought on this subject? Well, I'm, I'm surprised that it's only 56%. You would think uh, the Canadians are a little more smarter than that. I... I think it should be up in the 80s. Uh, I mean, uh, they're doing a terrible, terrible uh, job of uh, of uh, looking after these people. But I guess that's I guess that's all part of their plan. I don't know. He uh, he paid one guy ten million. Maybe these other crooks will get a million each. Who knows? So Barry, how would you like to see this situation handled? Well. You know, just common sense more than anything, eh? I mean, they uh, they should not be allowed to cross that border unless they have a paper saying that they've been accepted. There should be some kind of a... They should have uh, a place where they uh, they have to fill out a form before they can get into this country. I mean... They shouldn't have to walk, just be able to walk into a country and say, hey, I'm a citizen. All right, Barry, thanks for the call at 204-780-6868. We appreciate it. And we invite you to call us at 204-780-6868. You can call or text. We're getting a number of texts. We'll get Tristan to read some of those in a moment. But before we do that, I got an email here at brett at cjob.com, and this is from Ken, who says... I talked to an immigrant from Africa. He is very upset about these asylum seekers. Reason being that it took him seven years to finally become a Canadian citizen. Doesn't seem fair that they get fast-tracked and he had to follow the proper procedures to become a Canadian citizen. And again, this is a sentiment that exactly echoes what is being shown in this Ipsos poll for Global News, that a lot of people are... Concerned that it's that you know the, it's just not fair that the rules are that the line is being jumped. People are jumping the queue to get in to our country. Tristan, we're getting a number of texts. Absolutely, and you know, Brett, uh, on kind of a lighter side of this, it's funny. We had two people from two separate phone numbers text us the exact same thing at the same time. Uh, I think we should build a wall and make the Americans pay for it. Two people suggested that at the exact same time without knowing it. So, um, 
Maybe that's a sentiment amongst a few Canadians. Who knows? Alex texted us saying, our prime minister doesn't know what he's doing and all these immigrants that are coming in illegally into this country should be sent right back to the United States. Uh, he says, I think they're just a big struggle in our community. There's someone else you're texting. I'm not sure if this is true or not. 90% of them are criminals. That's why they are fleeing their own country. Uh, I have yet to hear any numbers that suggest it's that much. We do know there are some of them who are um, certainly questionable and do have criminal pasts, but I, I doubt it would be 90%. Uh, someone else here, David, saying it's out of control. We don't even understand the magnitude of this migration of people moving north. Mr. Trudeau is not in control. That is from David. We also have a text message here. Uh, it's from Anonymous, so we'll just say we'll just read the text. Hey, guys. People are aware of how Europe is being ruined by immigrants. Many of us are concerned that a small percentage of them can be as radical Islamic terrorists. And also, aside from a few that have been dumb enough to be caught with child pornography on their phones, we have to acknowledge that sex crimes are a scary part of their culture. And many of us simply do not want any percentage of them that carry these issues or potential in our country. And there is truth behind all the signs being posted in Quebec stating asylum seekers are illegal. Again, that is a text message to us at 204-780-6868. And that ties into the refugee claimants found in possession of mm -hmm. child porn at the Quebec border. I think four, they said four or five people had been found to have child porn in their possession. We don't uh, obviously want to let these people in. That's yeah, a fair point. Right. And I have uh, another email here just before we go to Global News at one thirty. Email at brett at cjob.com. This, it's from our buddy Sleel, who says this pretty much sums up Trudeau's response to us regarding all the illegals rolling over our borders as he does nothing but blow kisses at them. Okay. <laughs> That's your opinion, I guess. But I think he does speak to uh, a fair number of people in these border towns who feel as if they are being ignored by the federal government. And, you know, for, you know, for people, and I, I think just as a citizen for the Trudeau government to say, well, we're keeping an eye on it, but it's not an issue or not enough of an issue right now. I think that's a bit irresponsible on their part. And if they're not careful, they could lose a lot of support in those areas, especially if in, in Quebec, which has shown some pretty strong liberal support. They, If they don't mind their words, that could cost them politically. Randy has been waiting very patiently at 204-780-6868. Randy, I'm going to talk to, the, uh, to you off of the air because we do need to break for global news at 1.30. And then we'll continue this conversation at 204-780-6868. would love to hear your feedback on this poll that shows most Canadians are skeptical of the government's control of the refugee situation. Do you agree? Do you disagree? What do you think they can do better? At 204-780-6868, Tristan Field-Jones mm -hmm. in for Greg Mackling today. I'm Brett McGarry, back from my vacation. I'm going to tell you a little bit later on at 3.30 about that vacation, which included a, a stay in a wonderful part of southern Manitoba, southwestern Manitoba, Oak Island Resort. I want to extol its virtues so that you can maybe look into it and go there either with your family or your friends or maybe you just want a quiet place to go get away on your own. Whatever the reason you go there, you will enjoy it. We have been talking about this poll 
from Ipsos for Global News that many Canadians, in fact, the majority of Canadians are kind of skeptical about the government's control of the refugee situation. And we have been taking your calls at 204-780-6868. We've been taking your texts at that number and your emails, Tristan at cjob.com, Brett at cjob.com. And we spoke to Randy. I spoke to Randy while Tristan was reading the news. And while we are playing Randy, feel free to call us at 204-780-6868. But here is what Randy had to say. Well, you know, you've got some excellent calls there and, a, and an excellent opinion. Um, people feedback and uh, Mr. Trudeau's lack of um, solution for this. He's just being negligent, purely negligent, grossly negligent. And, you know, one of the things that I heard a couple of people mention it before in the conversation is, you know, you just think of all of the other immigrants who have done it properly. Like I've got a lot of friends, I'm going to say like 50 of them that I know right now from came from the Philippines, and it took them years and $20,000 to properly immigrate. I've got friends from Nigeria, from Kenya, from Russia, and, I mean, it takes years. And you think about how these people are feeling that these other guys are just jumping the queue, and, you know, it's like, well, we want to be compassionate, but I just, I don't know. My opinion is, in general, Canadians are too apathetic, and I think that it's, it's just purely ridiculous that we are not paying attention. I don't know if you said it was from anonymous, a text you just had about five minutes ago, but they mentioned that, you know, we're aware of what's going on in Europe. I mean, France, Germany, England, Greece, Sweden, uh, sort of Scandinavia, you know, Australia. I mean, the gross, unchecked immigration and the anarchy that's caused. And it's just, it's ridiculous that we are not vetting people. And, you know, it's just a truth. It's a truth. It's a truth. It's a truth that part of the culture that's coming in, like, you know, people that think that these men that think that they can beat their wives and that's okay. You know, it's all in my authority and I can take a nine-year-old and make her my bride. It's called pedophilia. So we're supposed to blink at these mentalities. It's ridiculous, and we're going to we're going to pay for it. We're already paying for it. The financial drain, it's going to collapse the economy. So there's a lot of moving parts to this, but it's absolutely ridiculous. I think Trudeau is absolutely grossly negligent. And my my point is that, you know, we need to look after our own before we look after others. Be compassionate to your own. That's your first priority, and you move up from there. I look after my family. I look after my town. I look after my province, my country, and outside from there. Start at home. Look after your own. I think it's only uh, diligent and practical. So that's my opinion. One more question before you run away here, Randy. You mentioned that you think Canadians are too apathetic. Why do you think that is? Why do I think that is the cause for that? I'm not sure the cause for that, but, um, like, I'm in my 50s, and... You know, I just think that in general, when it comes to taking action on things, we're too predisposed to take the compassionate end. Now, I'm all for compassion. I am. But I think we're just too lax in taking a stand for things, and we're so concerned about our image 
And I think it's, it's greatly cost us. Um, like right now, and, and I think it was Courier who mentioned this uh, a few months ago, and he said, you know, all these um, oh, um, phobias, you know, homophobia, homophobia, all these phobias. I'm not phobic. Phobic means that I'm scared of something and I'm, I'm learned about it. I don't understand it. No, I understand these different components. I'm not phobic. But Canadians are so afraid to get called phobic or racist. You can call me whatever you want. But at the end of the day, after you're done spitting out your lazy terms, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's talk about facts. And let's talk about what's really going on. Name calling is for mentally lazy people that can't bring very much to the table. And so once they're done, they're spitting. I've debated many uh, people on this thing. And it's like, okay, once you're done with your attacks, let's talk about facts. Let's talk about the number of people coming in. Let's talk about the cost on health care. Let's talk on housing. Let's talk on policing. And talk about the precedent that's being set. And, you ha- again, we cannot ignore what's happening worldwide. We'd be, we'd be very irresponsible to do so. Randy, thank you for the call at 204-780-6868. We very much appreciate the feedback. And you can call us at 204-780-6868. Maybe you have something to say about Randy's opinion. Roland joins the conversation at that line, 204-780-6868. What do you think, Roland? Well, I'm not very happy with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, and I will not vote for him again. Uh, I think he's out of control. Um, I personally think they should be turning these people back, uh, even here in Winnipeg, like in Manitoba. It's it's disgusting how they just let him come in. And believe it or not, I know some people here from Africa. I'm not saying they're all like that, but I do know a person that is a real problem here in Winnipeg. And he's selling drugs, he's getting women pregnant, and he's not even a Canadian citizen. He's been here for over 15 years. How did he get here? That's what I'd like to know. How do you know this person? Uh, He hangs around one of the bars in Windsor Park, and I've got friends that go there, and they've pointed him out to me, and I've heard all kinds of stories. Interesting. It's yeah, it's very disgusting. Like, and these two women that he's had, one has four kids with him. Uh, he left her and went to another one. Now he's got another one pregnant. Mm. And I guess it's to do with drugs. Like, they must take drugs. I don't know how this works. But this is not the only story I've heard of that, you know, from other people. And I just think that our government is not digging deep enough. And like, the other comments were made. I think Trudeau is not in control of the government. Roland, you mentioned that you will not vote for Justin Trudeau again. Does that mean oh, that you voted for him already? I did not vote for him. I wouldn't vote for him. I voted for his father. Uh, but I'll tell you, my family, and I've got a pretty large family, uh, I've heard comments from people in my family that have voted for him, and they won't. Never again. All right, Roland. All right, thank you. Thanks for the call at 204-780-6868. Getting a bunch of text messages, Tristan. 
Any of them jumping out at you? Yeah, I've, a few of them. We have Simran who texted us here. He says, it's funny, I had to wait four years for my residency to be approved in 2007 with all kinds of screening, but now people can just walk over. Uh, we also have... Um, uh, uh, who else do we have here? He says, uh, another question or another text here. Hi guys. My question is why are we accepting refugees from another first world country after they migrated from their mother country? We need a law to protect us from those that transition between developed nations. It's only fair to those that have migrated to Canada and have selected Canada first, not because they fear the U S government and are the next best choice. And that is a very legitimate issue there. Um, these people aren't fleeing from Somalia or Sudan, they're fleeing, supposedly, from the United States, which is not a third world country. Yes, I can understand if some people are concerned about the direction the country is headed in. There might be some concerns there, but that doesn't give you a reason to uh, cross the border illegally. So, yeah, these people are not, they're not fleeing a third world country. They are fleeing a first world country with a democracy in place. We have a traffic tip. Westbound Wall Street. Two lanes blocked with fire trucks due to a two-car accident. So again, westbound Wall Street, two lanes blocked, fire trucks due to a two-car accident. Um, and just to hang on a second here. Wall Street does. I don't think that goes westbound, does it? I think no. that's a nor- that north. Goes, north that, south. that goes north. But Wall Street goes. I always get the two mixed up. There's Wall Street and Aaron. Yes. Yes. Aaron is the one that goes south. I'm uh, pretty sure, yeah. So Wall Street he- goes north. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wall Street. So we're not entirely sure, actually, on this one. I'm just reading this <laughs> as it's coming in. I'm going to guess northbound Wall Street, there are two lanes that are blocked with fire trucks due to a two-car accident. So just watch out for that. We want to thank you for the feedback that we have <laughs> received at 204-780-6868. We do need to switch gears from the border to, I suppose, another border. Well, and you know what? A we'll, smaller area bordered. You know what we'll do, Brett, is there's plenty of other texts here. Uh, later on in the three o'clock hour, we will uh, read the text we didn't get to because there's still more feedback coming in. So for sure, keep them coming and we will uh, read them when we have the chance. In the meantime, we're going to switch to the Parker Wetlands, the latest on that situation. There was a, a court hearing today. We'll get an update on that after your forecast, which is coming up next. Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling with Brett McGarry here on this Wednesday afternoon as we trudge along in the middle of the week. Um, Development here, Brett, regarding uh, a local story that has certainly gained a lot of attention. Uh, It involves the blockade and the protesters who are at the Parkerlands right now. And for those of you who may not be familiar, uh, Parkerlands are right now uh, owned by uh, Gem Equities, uh, and I think there might be some other country or companies, excuse me, involved in that. And effectively, that area has been slated for clearing uh, for new development for the rapid transit line, the extension of the Southwest Rapid Transit Corridor, um, and it's been in the making for a while. Well, protesters recently have expanded. Uh, some of their camps. They've established a secondary camp uh, by dragging tents into a small clearing around aspen trees. It's been controversial. Some of the folks uh, protesting this anyway claim that uh, it is uh, indigenous land, that uh, there are endangered species that use it. Um, again, we're, there's there's a lot of claims from the protesters that are coming through. I don't know how many of those are true, how many are not, but the fact of the matter, what we do know is that there are people who aren't happy with this. There's a blockade taking place, and we know the company that owns the land 
uh, is trying to uh, tried to get an injunction to get the blockade removed immediately. When they tried to get it immediately, the court date was actually set for November 2nd. Now, Kevin Toyne, he's a lawyer that represents GEM Equities, and he joins us now. Uh, Kevin, why don't you take us from there? I understand there's been a little bit uh, of movement uh, in this case where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the appeal process uh, has just started? Yeah, that's true. So uh, we were actually before uh, the Chief Justice of Manitoba uh, earlier this morning, and an appeal has been set for Wednesday, August the 30th. And the purpose of that hearing will be to decide whether or not the uh, Court of Queen's bench, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, scheduled the uh, hearing on the injunction request for November. So really what the appeal is about is whether or not this is something that should be heard quickly or something that can be allowed to play out in the normal course. It does seem a little bit odd to me that the courts would intervene considering that this land for better for whatever people think about it the land is owned by jam equities yeah to, to go back to, to your intro session it's um, uh, what the uh, what the trespassers are doing it, it's not just controversial it's also illegal so they don't own the land uh, there's two numbered companies that are uh, uh, associated with uh, Jim Equities that own the land. Uh, the trespassers have been asked to leave repeatedly, time and time again, and rather than respecting the, uh, uh, the plaintiff's uh, property rights, they've decided to continue to break the law, and for reasons that are, are, are not currently being disclosed, uh, and therefore aren't known to either to us or to the general public, uh, the Winnipeg police are allowing them to continue to break the law on a daily basis. Kevin, why is this suddenly an issue now? I mean, the, the plans for the rapid transit uh, route have been around for, well, I mean, well over a decade from what I can think. And we knew eventually that after they completed the first phase, that second phase would probably run through at least part of that area. So why is this suddenly becoming an issue now? Um, to be frank, it's it's not entirely clear why the uh, the illegal trespassers have have chosen this particular moment to uh, to, to pounce and break the law. Uh, this particular area was identified by the city of Winnipeg back in 2010 or 2011 as an as a major redevelopment site. So so this that there was a whole process that led up to that. Um, even uh, the plaintiffs have had uh, open houses about their intended developments. And uh, a lot of the issues that are now being, you know, raised by the illegal trespassers to try to justify their illegal conduct uh, are issues that, you know, could and should have been raised, you know, years and years and years ago, not being raised now to, to, to sort of provide um, some sort of after-the-fact justification for their decision to break the law. What are, you mentioned that some of the reasons that they're bringing up, what are some of those reasons? Uh, well, at, at first, um, there, there was issues about a uh, there was a, some sort of a hawk's nest that some of the protesters claimed had been destroyed during the cle- uh, during the tree clearing. That wasn't true. There has been issues that have been raised about um, how perhaps the plaintiffs aren't actually the owners of the land, and that uh, somehow the uh, Manitoba Métis Federation's land claim has some potential impact uh, on the plaintiffs' ownership of the land. That's also not true. 
Um, the, the, the MMS land claim, it's, it's been working its way through the courts for 30, 40 years. It has absolutely nothing to do about taking land away from anybody. The MMF has been clear about that for decades. The courts have been clear about that for decades. So this, this whole argument that somehow this land claim process out there is going to result in these lands being taken away from the plaintiffs is, is just not true. Uh, now, I understand that uh, as a result of the blockade and the protesters, uh, there's been uh, some sec- some security concerns there. Can you speak to that a little bit, Kevin? Yeah, sure. So um, some of the illegal trespassers have begun to conceal their identities, and that's typically done by people uh, looking to thwart law enforcement or to frustrate the civil justice process. So some of them have begun to wear masks or, or other things so that it's difficult to identify them. Um, at least one weapon uh, has been seen on uh, on the premises. Uh, one of the protesters was walking around one day with an axe. And uh, the plaintiffs, uh, just like any other landowner, uh, have started to take uh, certain precautions. So, for example, some fencing has been put up. Uh, some lights have been installed. Uh, because uh, not only are these uh, illegal trespassers uh, th- uh, thwarting uh, lawful business plans of the plaintiffs, uh, and causing them to suffer damage. Uh, they're also potentially exposing themselves to danger by running around in uh, in property that doesn't belong to them uh, in the middle of the night. So it, not only are they endangering others, but they're also endangering themselves. And just before we wrap it up here then, Kevin, remind us again, you mentioned the date Wednesday, August 30th. What will be happening on that day? So on that date, a three-member panel of the Court of Appeal will hear arguments on whether or not Um, the request for an injunction or a court order to remove the protesters from the property um, should have been heard by the Court of Queen's Bench a number of weeks ago. And if they agree with the plaintiffs that it it, that's, uh, that it is urgent, then I expect that there'll be a, a fairly quick hearing heard in the Court of Queen's Bench. And the plaintiffs are certainly hopeful that uh, the Court of Queen's Bench will grant an order that would then uh, be respected by the illegal trespassers, and if not, then enforced by the police. Because at the end of the day, this land belongs to the plaintiffs. What they want to do with it is entirely lawful. And the people that are doing it, uh, regardless of what they may say, are breaking the law, and they need to be stopped. All righty. Kevin Toyne, thank you very much for your time, and we'll certainly follow up on this story. On this story. Kevin Toyne is a lawyer representing Gem Equities, the folks who own part of the Parker's land. And we, and just as a quick follow-up to this, Brett, we got a text from Peter saying, in all fairness, I sure hope you're going to have someone from the protesting side there. Uh, yeah, we have reached out to the protesters as well. Uh, they will be joining us later on, uh, probably Richard and Julie, uh, after 4 o'clock, to get their side of the story as this appeal process goes through. So, uh, again, in the interest of fairness, we have reached out. Out to that side of the story. And I should also point this out as well. We got a text from Spencer about 10 minutes ago. I didn't see it then, but he sent us a picture of a funnel cloud off of Highway 6 near Warren, Manitoba. The picture that he took at 1.46 p.m. and sent immediately to us. So, Spencer, thank you for sending us that picture. That's kind of neat, uh, but could also be scary if it gets worse. So I think we'll be fine. All right, it is one fifty-seven. that means Global News at 2 o'clock. And then we will talk about digital literacy. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field. Jones, still to come this afternoon, we have tickets to give away. Not right now, so don't call right now. But we do have tickets to give away for Guns and Roses. 
You know what? I'm just going to block the lines just in case. 204-780-6868 is a number you will call later, but not right now. When we give away tickets for Guns and Roses, we will also hear from the Manitoba Moose who are looking for new anthem singers. We'll have that conversation at 3 o'clock. And after the 2.30 news, Kyle Mason stepping down as executive director of the North End Family Centre. So he is going to join us in studio to tell us about that. But right now, Tristan, we're going to talk about the importance of digital literacy. So, you know, Brett, we hear constantly about financial literacy, or we hear about being, you know, street smart or food smart or whatever it may be. But digital literacy, I think, in spite of the fact that the Internet has been around for and in, in commonplace for 20 years, uh, I, th- I feel as if there is a fair number of us who still don't have that digital literacy. And I can think, going back to my high school days, for instance, yes, we had computer classes, but it was all about, uh, you know, typing and using Photoshop and not a whole lot was discussed about, for instance, how to properly use email, how to identify spam, that sort of thing. And granted, this study, which is based uh, uh, from the Brookfield Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, uh, obviously goes a lot more than just how do you detect spam in your email, but it does look at digital literacy in the workplace and in Canada overall. So uh, I reached out and we're joined by uh, the authors of this study, uh, Annalise Wynn and Andrew Doe, both of us join us on 680 CGOB. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi. Uh, now, my first question is, before we get into this, when you say digital literacy, what do you mean by that? Uh, great. So when we're talking about digital literacy, um, you've covered already some of this, but um, understanding that digital literacy is is actually quite broad. Um, you know, it's more than using a computer. It's more than knowing how to code. It's more than um, understanding um, artificial intelligence. What we're really defining is the ability to use technical tools to solve problems um, and really underpinning this with the ability to critically understand digital content. So when it comes to uh, these topics, I mean, you list those those uh, facets of this, if you will, and there might be a lot of people here who are uh, you might listen to that and say, well, yeah, I know how to do all those things, or ah, I know most of that. But is that really the case? I mean, are we doing enough of a good job here in this country making sure people are digi- digi- digitally literate? Um, I, I think the it's, it's a bit of a yes and no. Like, we definitely, in, in schools across Canada, um, focus on the ability to use tools um, to, to understand them. Um, but we haven't really looked at what that means in terms of, of like, we, we can accomplish tasks. We can make PowerPoint presentations. We can find things on the Internet. Um, we, can, we can understand, like, how to, under, um, how to know if uh, online content is credible or not and on, a, on a general level. But one of the things that we're really stuck on right now is understanding how that relates to, for instance, the growing focus on coding or, um, you know, what the tools are that people need to to work um we, we we use them for school projects obviously in schools but we don't think about you know when we're at the working level um what are the skills that everyone might what might need um, we're talking about like something like a baseline so what does everyone need to be able to fully participate um, in society and in the workplace 
So, Andrew, this is a study. I mean, we've sort of heard why folks are looking at this. What? How do we equip Canadians? Because I can't tell you how, how often we hear from people who just phone this radio station looking for information, and we might say to them, oh, you can just go to such and such a website. Oh, well, I don't have a computer. So, I mean, there is a very large, and I don't say that to mock anybody, there is a large segment of, of the population in this country that is not digitally literate. So how do we equip these Canadians? Mm-hmm. And, and that's an absolutely good point. So I think the, the first thing we think about when we hear of digital literate, we have like a certain image of a person in mind, probably someone who's young, the, the digital natives, as we call it. Uh, and what I mean by digital natives are people who grew up with, with uh, the age of the internet. So people like, uh, like myself and Annalise who grew up with the internet and versus a term that you hear is digital immigrants, i.e. people who did not perhaps grow up with as much digital technologies uh, as, as there are. I think a lot of the conversation is focused on how do we equip young people uh, with digital skills, uh, but that leaves out the fact that there are a lot of people who are perhaps middle-aged or even older uh, who, you know, as as we see that in the, in the workforce, I think in the OECD it says like, um, the OECD, so the Organization for Economic Cooperation and De- Development, um, you know, the co- conglomeration of you know all the world's advanced economies, uh, they they found that you know 95% of uh, of the of people working in you know large companies, anywhere from to say 65% of people working in in smaller sort of medium enterprises, they will need to use digital skills in their their job. Um, so how do we go about equipping that? I think part of it is is realizing that it's, yeah, I think to, to your point, it's all Canadians. It's not just young people. It's not just teaching these skills at the school level, but also how do we equip and train them uh, in the workplace, but also outside the workplace. So how can we leverage sort of community assets like, say, public libraries uh, to do it? Um, there's a great program uh, by ABC uh, Life Life literacy literacy, uh, that actually works with telecommunications companies to actually train up um, seniors on how to use uh, the Internet to, you know, equip them with very basic uh, digital skills like how to do an Internet search, how to do email uh, with, you know, people who may be intimidated with using digital technologies. And they they have a great program um, that, you know, focuses on seniors, which is maybe not a population that we typically think about when we think of trying to train people with digital skills. So. And what I find interesting about this study that looks at digital literacy, uh, you know, and I believe, and you guys would probably know this better than I would, but I believe we have some, what are some of the highest internet usage rates in the world? And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it might be, it's it's eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 Canadians who use the internet on an, on a daily basis or close to it. So in spite of that high uh, awareness, if you will, of technology, of the internet, of the digital age, I, it still looks as if we have a lot of learning to do. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, access is definitely important. Um, we do have very high rates, and we can't we can't forget about the people who who don't have that. So, um, you know, to give you some examples, in terms of internet access or access to to computers. Um, you know, while we have a very high rate, we still have a lot of people who don't have access to, to technology. And a lot of those people are along, um, like, urban-rural divides. Um, you know, considering that Canada is very geographically large, um, you know, we have to think about communities who are, you know, not close to cities. Um, we have a lot of remote um, communities, even, I mean, in Ontario as well, um, particularly in, in the north. I know there are quite a few in Manitoba. Um, so thinking about first from a technological perspective, how do we connect everyone? Um, but you know, assuming that we can do that soon, um, looking at 
at deeper understanding. So, I mean, we're looking at understanding how computers work. Like, how do they really work? Um, you know, you can make a document, you can, you can maybe upload it online, but um, where does it go, right? How does that work? How is information stored? How long is it up there? Who can access it? Um, we're really looking at, you know, usage, but also what does it mean to be a citizen in an era where technology is per- pervasive across all sectors? Well, and you raise an interesting point there, a very good point about um, the urban and rural divide, uh, because I, I believe Netflix has in the past referred to Canada's broadband infrastructure as the equivalent of third world when it comes to technology. Am I wrong in that, Tristan? No, I, and I think Netflix wasn't the only one. Like, There's other studies out there that have shown that our internet speed and our data rates and many facets of this digital economy, if you will, uh, are comparable to third world countries in some aspects. So then, Andrew, with that knowledge, is Canada, are Canadians sort of in danger of falling behind the rest of the world when it comes to maintaining their digital literacy? Um, so the access point, I think, um, is, is I think a, a really key part of it. So something that we learned in talking to, say, you know, as Annalise was mentioning, say some rural communities, a lot of education uh, institutions, so, so schools, actually rely on online learning or e-learning to sort of deliver uh, le- like classrooms on online. So something we hear that happens in the territories. And internet access is very, very expensive up there uh, on that whole infrastructure side. So I will say that even though Canada, we, we, you know, we have very high rates. So, so there is a, there's a survey done by the OECD uh, um, called, uh, called PIAC, um, which, which found that Canadians are pretty knowledgeable when it comes to using the internet. We, we actually outperform, I think, to, to, to your point, a lot of other sort of advanced economies uh, out there uh, in the world. Um, but that being said, that the whole sort of inequality piece is, is there, where we, where some people, you know, people living in cities like uh, like myself and Annalise, I think will be fine. But for those who live in sort of rural areas, they may be left out of that uh, economy. And so, so yes, I, I do think that uh, there is a fear, and that there is an actual problem that that some people will be left in blind. But even if they have access, there is still the issue of trying to get them to to use it. So we hear the word digital divide. And it's been typically thought about as as an access problem, but it's not just an access problem. It's also like a like a capacity problem, like the ability to actually use it. You may have internet access, but if you don't know how to how to use it, then we're talking about sort of that layer as as well. Uh, one of the challenges with trying to equip everyone with a lot of uh, digital skills that that we hear that we didn't that we touched a little bit on this discussion paper, but we hope to expand in future uh, research is really how do we equip teachers uh, really to to actually train people how to get how to how to use these type of tools um, that something we consistently hear is that there is uh, a lack of you know teaching talent to actually teach people how to use digital how to how to use these skills and even even volu- even on a voluntary basis or even professionally so how do we uh, I know we mentioned about kind of the, the classrooms and the institutions uh, helping spread some of this digital literacy but as citizens as people in this country, what can we do on our own to become more digitally literate? Um, so there's a lot of like pedagogical research on this, and the thing with digital literacy, there are fair point. There are a lot of online learning uh, tools available, but obviously you can only really take advantage of that if you already know how to get online uh, in the first place. 
I think one place that where where everyone kind of can can sort of do do their part is that it's one of those things where you have to learn in a peer environment that helps. So so or we work with an organization called uh, Ladies Learning Code. Uh, they're talking, which is now sort of rebranding themselves as sort of Canada Learning Code, where they they they're very much big on sort of peer to peer learning. And that sort of helps encourage people, really get people uh, kind of aware and building the confidence to do it. And and computer, like using digital skills and, and like coding or, or whatever it is, or even just using email and doing internet search, it's one of those things that you, you can only really get better at through through practice. That's something that comes out in the pedagogy quite a lot, that it, it, it is something that we have to learn by doing. Yeah, and I, I think Andrew makes a, a few really good points there. I mean, for the most part, everyone's going to be at a different level. Um, but I think at this point, the, the big thing is to is to ask questions um, and, and to not not be taken aback or, or, or be discouraged by, by things that you don't understand. I mean, um, everybody's at a, at a different level. Andrew and I definitely Google every day. We probably Googled quite a bit to figure out how to, how to put out the report um, in a, just like in, in a good format, making sure that we knew, know where to share it, um, how to share it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's asking the people around you. It's making use of, of public resources like, like libraries. Like walk into a library and, and ask. Um, or, um, you know, if you want to start small, start by asking the people around you. Start by trying, trying, online, uh, trying online resources. There, there are quite a few out there. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say to make a point, uh, you know, we talk about digital literacy, but we also think about digital literacy as like one set of important skills uh, against like a broader set of skills. So we think of digital literacy as a 21st century skill. But, you know, we've talked to employers and even people in schools, like what are the skills that actually matter? And at the end of the day, digital literacy, uh, without pairing that off, without, you know, sort of complementing that with, say, soft skills like collaboration, teamwork, communication, you can be the best coder uh, in the world. But if you aren't able to collaborate with people or communicate with people, um, and if you don't have those, uh, I don't, we don't really like the term soft skills, but that is the generally accepted uh, uh, term there. Those are those are those are things we also have to think about. Like, how does digital literacy fit uh, in the broader suite uh, of skills uh, a- as well? So, Annalise Wynn and Andrew Doe are our guests, and they have written a study: digital literacy in a digital age. Where can people go to look at this study and get more information? Uh, so they can uh, find out about it uh, on, and and uh, and download the publication uh, at our website at www www.brookfieldinstitute.ca. Uh, we're a research institute based uh, here at uh, Ryerson University uh, out here in Toronto. Uh, um, you can also just Google Brookfield Institute if that is a lot easier uh, to, to remember, uh, and you can download the uh, publication there. Um, this is the first research report in a series of reports that, that we're doing. We also have a literature review there, so if you are interested in diving into it uh, from more sort of an academic perspective, uh, this is for the, the grad students, listeners that you may have, then by all means feel feel free to, to also download that. Yeah, and, and we're always looking for feedback. Uh, we're going to continue this this research and, and uh, you know, just b- build it out over the next year or so. So, I mean, if anybody has suggestions or if anybody reads it and uh, thinks we're right or thinks we're wrong, we'd love to hear. 
All right, Adelise Wynn and Andrew Doe, thank you so much for joining us today live on 680 CJOB to talk about digital literacy in a digital age. And if you have any questions on how to get your hands on the information we were just talking about, just shoot me an email, brett at cjob.com, and we will get you lined up with that. We want to talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in a moment, but before we do that, we got to check your forecast. That's up next Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones tomorrow night in Winnipeg. Well, you know what? Let's take you back to last time before we talk about the next time. Nichols, Harris, left side, fights in. Did he get in? Touchdown, Blue Bombers! Final play of the game, and they have won it 41-40. to 40. Unbeat. Winnipeg Blue Bombers have had a couple of thrilling contests of late to improve their record now to what are they five and two now? That's right. Yep, five and two. And after pasting the Hamilton Tiger Cats. That's right. Yeah, that was uh was the destruction of the poor hapless Hamilton Tiger Cats who are now zero and seven. So the Winnipeg oh. Blue Bombers tomorrow night are hosting the only undefeated team in the Canadian Football League. Edmonton comes to town. Tomorrow night, kickoff at 7.30, pregame show at 5.30 with Bob Irving and Doug Brown. And we want you to go to the stadium. Investors Group Field is going to be the place to be. It's been a while since we've had, uh, I know the Bombers have had some better seasons, but I think this is the first probably year in, in many years where the uh, the excitement is real, where the, 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 the games that are ending close are ending in the Bombers' favor. Yeah. And that's an exciting place to be if you are a sports fan. And even if you're not a huge sports fan, sports, remember, is the business of entertainment. Yes. And it is an entertaining place to be. You got all sorts of, you got the pyrotechnics going and there's things going on in between plays and in between during halftime. So you don't have to be a sports fan to go to the Bombers and enjoy it. Well, um, it's funny. I I just had to double check that Edmonton were still undefeated and... 7-0. 7-0. and oh. Yeah. Holy moly. That's even better than, well, I mean, Calgary is kind of close there. They're 5-1, and one, but, uh, or 5-1-1, and one, I should say. But, uh, well, I, I really had to do double take there when you mentioned that Edmonton was undefeated. So that should be interesting. Let's see. Now, having said that, Brett, you may remember we went to the game when Calgary paid us a visit mm-hmm. and the Bombers didn't score anything in the second half of that <laughs> game. Uh, but so, I believe that was the one, the one home game the Bombers lost this right. year. Right, but having said that, with uh, Edmonton paying us a visit, um, here's hoping that it isn't a repeat of when Calgary came to town. It's going to be close, and it wouldn't be. Wouldn't it be nice if the Bombers could hand Edmonton their first loss of the season? I yeah. feel like if, if the Bombers were going to lose any game, it was going to be against Hamilton because Hamilton's a hungry team, zero and six, looking for that victory, and the Bombers, as you mentioned, they pasted them. So Th- thirty-nine to twelve kickoff. 7.30, Investor Group Field, our pregame show at 5.30. Tomorrow on the 6.80 CJOB, the news, global news with Tristan Field-Jones is up next. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling for the next couple of weeks. Don't forget, Patio Palooza resumes this Friday. Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road. We will be on the rooftop patio. Feel free to come on by. It, it didn't go away, us. Brett. What's that? It didn't go away. We still I'm not saying it. I'm saying it resumes this Friday. Well, it continues. Resumes implies that it stopped for a time being. Well, it did stop. It stopped from this past Friday 
to this upcoming Friday. There's a seven-day gap in between. Mm-hmm. Why are you picking a fight right now? Why is it always a fight, Tristan? It's not always a fight, Brett. It's just, you know, because some people might assume that Patio Palooza ended. It didn't. Last Friday, we had Patio Palooza. It was myself and Greg. It well, was it lovely. ended at 4 o'clock this, and this past Friday, Friday. It's going to be myself and Brett. And now it resumes at 1 o'clock. really lucky if... He makes it out of there unharmed. We have Kyle Mason in the studio right now, founder and executive director of the North End Family Center, to bring things in a positive direction. Kyle, I swear we're actually really good friends. Uh, <laughs> I just don't want to get in the, in the middle of you two. <laughs> Kyle, solve this fight. Uh, but uh, and we're just here to chat about the North End Family Center. And Kyle, you are stepping down as uh, executive director. Uh, why don't you tell us? I mean, what's what's going on? What's behind the decision here? Uh, I I know that it's. Catching a lot of people by surprise today, but uh, it's anything but a surprise for me and my family. Like, uh, yeah, my wife and I have been talking about it, thinking about it for quite some time. And it's probably since last Christmas where the idea has been building. And probably since last Christmas, it's been a when, not an if. And so now it just felt like the right time. Uh, I, yeah, I informed uh, my boss, the board of directors, about four or five weeks ago. And uh, around the North End Family Center, we've been working towards this. So, like I, I said, I can appreciate uh, that it's catching some people off uh, guard today, and I appreciate all the texts and emails and messages that I've been getting. Uh, but it's it's the right decision at the right time. What is, for those who are not familiar with it, what is the North End Family Center? Uh, the North End Family Center, we are really focused around the idea of three principles, uh, building community, empowering families, and strengthening Winnipeg. And, and those three ideas really motivate everything that we do. So the idea, the foundation of what we do at the North End Family Center is based on the idea of community. Uh, everybody, doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, we all need people. You know, when life goes goes good or goes bad, we need friends and we need family. So at the Family Center, that is the foundation of what we do. Is We are a community gathering place. What, uh, what prompted you to move on from this position? Um... Uh, you know, being the founder, uh, it was an organization I started working on about nine years ago, and I honestly believe there, there gets a point in the uh, life of any organization um, that uh, there comes a time where the founder or the leader needs to step aside. I've always, always um, tried to build an organization that would outgrow me and outlast me, and I honestly feel that the that, that, that time has arrived. You have been with it uh, since the beginning. You are the founder. Uh, when was the North End Family Center founded? Uh, well, I started building on the idea um, August uh, of 08, I believe, and it took some while. It took a, it took a few months to kind of really formulate into uh, you know, a solid idea. Um, but yeah, I, I spent a year's time, uh, probably six months I spent uh, uh, doing the research, doing the community assessment, talking to the community, looking at stats and uh, what other people were doing in other places in the North End and really talking to the community, finding out who was doing what and where and what the community wanted. You know, there's been a lot of good people with really good intentions over the years that has come into the North End uh, that has done uh, stuff at people, uh, but we wanted to do with people. You know, being a North Ender myself, um, I really wanted to make sure from day one that uh, the community had real input into who we are and what we do and where we're going. Uh, so that was the first six months. The six months following was uh, fundraising, setting up the initial structure board of directors, that kind of stuff. And then after that full year is when we opened our doors on October 09, and we've just been growing ever since. And you, uh, I understand, had the idea came to you after you moved back 
yeah. to the north end from Saskatchewan? Yeah, my wife and I, we had spent a few years in uh, different parts of the country uh, where our careers and our lives took us. Uh, but we initially moved back uh, because my wife uh, got a job in her field. And I was sitting at home uh, on the couch watching Star Trek for a couple of weeks. And uh, <laughs> I know, I know, I'm a super nerd. Uh, but it's after, okay. <laughs> uh, by the way, Picard is the best captain. Just got to say that. <laughs> Oh, controversial. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, but, yeah, no, after a couple of weeks, uh, I was, you know, I was, I was at state. I didn't know what was coming next for me. And uh, uh, it, it, it just, I got bored and I decided I wanted, like, we moved back into the North End. We actually moved uh, onto the very street that I grew up in. And so after a couple of weeks of being bored, I, I just decided, hey, let's do something. And that something turned into the North End Family Center. So it really, it started off just, just like that, just with an idea this wasn't, uh, you know, and uh, you know, it wasn't a department of someplace else. Place else. It wasn't like in a big grant money or something. It was just, uh, just an idea that started just like that. How did you get it off the ground? I mean, you mentioned you had the idea, and just a matter of, hey, let's make things better for everyone. Uh, how did, did you did you rely on community donations? Did you rely on, uh, like you said, it wasn't any big grant or anything like that? But did was the, uh, were the governments involved in this at all? Just be curious and to know how you got this off the ground. Uh, from day one and still to this day, uh, we're over 90% um, privately funded by private donations. Uh, for our new building, um, uh, Councillor Ross Eady helped us secure a city grant uh, uh, to help us uh, with our renovation costs. Uh, and there's been a few other grants here and there. But in terms of, besides those, it's all, always been private donations. Uh, so, yeah, from day one, we just, I've been, you know, it's a large part of what I've been doing is just fundraising, spreading the word, networking, and uh, asking people to get involved, and thankfully, a lot of people have. And I've been really blessed to work with fantastic people over these years. You know, there's been different board members, uh, staff members, volunteers, uh, community members, and donors who who have all bought into this vision. So, it's certainly not just me. I'm just uh, uh, I just been maybe that spokesperson or that face of the organization, but I represent uh, many fantastic people. Kyle Mason is our guest. He is in studio with us. He is stepping down as executive director of the North End Family Center. Where is the North End Family Center, by the way? 1344 Main Street. And uh, was that its original location? No, originally we were all the way down the street at uh, 1322 Main Street. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we uh, we actually purposely didn't move very far at all because um, we, we are quite local in, in terms of our approach and our impact. Uh, because uh, we wanted to make sure that we're having real impact on a certain area as opposed to having shallow impact over a large area. So uh, when we were needing a new building and we outgrew our, our original location quite quickly, and then after a couple of years of struggling trying to make that small location work, we finally moved uh, into uh, 1344 Main Street. But we waited for the right uh, opportunity in the right space, and we didn't want to move far because we knew if we moved even two blocks in any direction, we'd be leaving some people behind. So we literally just moved half a block up the street. That's between Cathedral and McRae, correct? Yeah. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Just sort of putting that uh, that map in people's heads in case they're not familiar with the location. Yeah. What type of activities uh, do you guys offer to families? I assume people of all ages come to the North End Family Center. But what type of activities do you offer and, and, and how uh, how do you help out in, in the community? Well, earlier I mentioned about the idea of being a community gathering place, so that mm-hmm. is the foundation. But, yeah, we offer a fairly long list of programs um, and services that we offer to help families and individuals get out of and stay out of poverty. Like it goes from um, our community laundry room. We have two washers and two dryers where people are able to come and do their laundry for no cost. 
Uh, we have a community shop where we hand out hygiene products. Uh, we have computers that help people look for work, uh, update or create their resumes, um, fill out government forms, uh, do, do their school research, or even just go online and, you know, go on Facebook, watch cat videos or whatever you want to do. Hey, don't knock those cat videos. Those cat videos are actually no, not at all. very, very popular. Uh, plus, we have a community phone. Uh, we have a community kitchen. We have a group room where we offer classes and workshops. Uh, we work in partnership with other organizations uh, that come in and use our space. Um, yeah, we, we, we do a lot. Uh, plus, we have one of our team members, Laura. Um, she, she works with individuals uh, kind of on the deeper um, uh, causes to why people are struggling. So she will essentially do like um, an individual life map of somebody. So she will say, okay, this is where you are and tell me where you want to go. And they will say, this is where I want to be in a couple of years. And, and she will work that plan with them, advocate and, on their behalf and so on. Yeah, and, and talk about some of those team members because you mentioned, you know, you are one member of a much larger group that uh, helps a lot of people there. Uh, what are some of the other roles that uh, some people at the North End Family Centre fulfill? Oh, I mentioned Laura. Uh, Laura is our uh, programs coordinator. She does fantastic work. She uh, is probably a frontline front person when it comes to interacting with the community. Uh, there's also a gentleman named Jeff Layton, um, and I should say Laura's last name, Laura Dahl. And uh, Jeff Layton is our director of operations, and Jeff um, really is uh, an extremely vital part of the organization. As the ops guy, he makes sure that everything runs smoothly. Uh, he makes sure that we um, the building's up and working properly, that there's enough toilet paper in the bathrooms, to the scheduling, uh, to making sure that uh, administration work is getting done. He essentially is the details guy. Um, that allows me um, to really focus on networking and fundraising. And the rest of my time when I'm not doing that stuff is overseeing my team um, and then assisting the board of directors to make sure that we strive for further things. But I always use this one analogy of like um, a, like a sports team. Right. I would say, the, you know, the community and the board of directors is the owner. Uh, I'm essentially the general manager and Jeff is the coach who runs the team. So uh, um, that's kind of how we work there. Kyle Mason is our guest. He is stepping down as executive director of the North End Family Centre, and we will continue our chat. He is the founder and executive director of the North End Family Centre. We'll continue our chat after we look at your forecast. Up next, Brad McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. And for Greg Mackling, our studio guest is Kyle Mason, who is the founder and executive director of the North End Family Centre, located at 1344 Main Street, and he is stepping down as executive director. And Kyle... What do you think other people think when they hear the words, the North End? Does it come with a reputation? Uh, for some people, certainly, yeah. Um, I, I, I hear about it often. You know, in some ways it's justified, and, but in many ways it's not. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can read the news and that kind of stuff. And, um, but what often doesn't make print or make the airwaves is um, the thousands upon thousands of good people and families that are just living their lives, trying to do the best for themselves and for the neighborhood, just like anybody else around the city. And the North End is filled with great people doing some wonderful things. You mentioned uh, earlier that uh, uh, you, uh, the North End Family Center contains phones and computers and common laundry area, and you offer classes and workshops and all sorts of things, which I think is wonderful. Uh, how do you see the North End Family Center continuing in the future and con and continuing to play that ro that vital role in the community? 
uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, I, I'm not entirely sure. You know, it, uh, it's not up to me. Uh, you know, I, I know there is a really, really good team um, in place, you know, with uh, the staff and the board and the donors and the community itself. Um, and it's going to be up to them. Um, it, you know, I, I have some ideas. I have some hopes. But um, uh, but I, I, I can say this. Like, I, I, I know that they're, they're going to continue to grow and they're going to continue to have more impact and more lives are going to be changed. You know, it's been a good number of years now, and we are seeing hundreds of lives change and impacted. And, and we have about 1,400 visits a month. So there's a lot of people uh, that are connected in one way, uh, shape, or form with the North End Family Center. And it's, and just, it's just getting going. Like, I, I realize that, uh, you know, I, I've been maybe at the face of this organization, but it's bigger than one guy. Uh, there's a lot of good and exciting things in store for the North End Family Center. So what are you doing next? Uh, I am currently looking for opportunities. Uh, so I, I know some people say that you should never uh, leave something until you have something else lined up. Um, but I just simply came to the realization that this was the right time. Um, I didn't want to get in the way. I didn't uh, spend all these years at the North End Family Center uh, working quite hard uh, to just start getting in the way. Because we have all seen or heard about times where sometimes leaders leaders leave too soon or stay too long. And I, I didn't want to be either one of those. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm currently uh, looking for opportunities. I've had a couple of phone calls um, to see if I'd be interested in a few things. But I'm, I'm just going to take some time. But really, uh, today is more focused just on, on, the, on the Family Center and, you know, the good things that are, are going to continue there. Um, it's, it really is an exciting time for this organization. And I firmly believe that they're going to do amazing, amazing things. What is the... At your time at the North, North End Family Center, what is your proudest accomplishment? Oh, wow. Uh, or or if you can't pick one, a moment that really stands out where you can say, I am su- I'm super proud of what I did here. Uh, well, I, I didn't do anything alone. True. So um, it's hard for the, for me to single something out. But uh, one, one thing that happened fairly recently um, that sticks with me often because it, it has... Uh, some personal connections. Uh, a number of years ago, um, I lost a daughter. Um, so a few months ago, uh, a single mother in the neighborhood um, w- woke up one morning to find her six-month-old son had passed away uh, overnight. And um, yeah, it, it is unbelievably tragic uh, for any any parent to lose a child. And um, you know, over the course of the next couple of weeks, uh, we were able to make sure that uh, the, the mother uh, and the extended family uh, were able to have uh, not only just a proper uh, service and burial, but a really respectful one. Uh, we arranged uh, everything for her, um, and it didn't cost her anything. Uh, and she was just she was able to focus just on um, beginning the grieving process. And um, so there's a, a gentleman who volunteers at the family center um, who is a licensed minister, he conducted the service, and uh, I, I assisted in a number of different ways, as did the rest of the team. Um, so we can't bring her child back, but at least she doesn't have to go through this grieving process alone. Uh, and at least she didn't have to um, try have to plan a funeral. Uh, it is the worst thing that anybody could go through, having to say goodbye to a, a child. Um, and like I said, we can't change what happened, but... Uh, that's the idea about building community and being a community gathering place that at the very least she is not going through this by herself. You mentioned earlier that a lot of uh, people had been doing stuff 
at people in the North End and you wanted to do something with people. What, mm-hmm. what do you mean by stuff at people? Um, you know, sometimes uh, I, I personally don't like the term the poor. It, it, it such has connotations that I, I don't particularly like. So I say under-resourced. Um, but I think sometimes when people uh, w- truly are motivated by good things and good intentions, um, uh, they, they, they miss an important step of listening to the people they want to serve. Um, and just because somebody's under-resourced doesn't mean that they don't have opinions uh, or they don't have good insights uh, or even good solutions. Um, so sometimes um, people skip that very important step. Uh, just and, and I don't know what motivates that or what, why sometimes that gets skipped when people are working with the under-resourced. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a vital thing. Like no, no company, no organization, no person uh, – Anywhere else uh, would would do that without kind of doing their research, talking to, you know, if it's a company, they would want to do their research to figure out where the best location is, what their clientele would be, and so on and so on. Um, so at the North End Family Center, we don't have clients. We have friends. We have community members. And uh, we wanted to make sure that from day one and ongoing that um, they first and foremost get the input. They get the say on to what we do and how we do it and what we will do in the future. What would you say to people who might be in the North End or, you know, I think this type of uh, community engagement and activism can really apply to any neighborhood in the city. But what would you say to people out there who they want to make a difference in their community, but they don't know where to start? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, You know, I would say you just have to start by being willing to do it, you know, willing to take that risk, willing to take that step. It, uh, if anybody wants for uh, wait, to wait for a safety net to be in place, then you probably will never do anything. Uh, you simply just have to to make that leap, and sometimes it's a leap of faith, and sometimes it will work and sometimes it won't, but you have to give it a try. And I think just that's what we did at the North End Family Center. And, like, we have uh, we've had many successes, but we've also had many mistakes and setbacks and missteps, and um, we just... You know, wake up every day, and we just kind of put another foot forward and kept going, and and we just you just you have to be willing to take that leap. If anybody listening to this either wants to a make a donation uh, to the family center or b what needs to maybe use uh, the resources of the North End Family Center, how do they get in touch? Uh, they they can call our office at two zero four five eight two seven nine two seven, but they can also find our website northendfamilycenter.org. Uh, you can also find us in all basically the the main social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and if people are in a place where they need to access the resources, they can come on down. We're open Monday through Thursdays uh, during the day. And anybody and everybody's welcome. We uh, we don't care who you are, what your background is. Um, you know, everybody and everybody is welcome at the North End Family Center uh, without judgment and without um, prejudice. You know, everybody is welcome and we love it when people, when new people come in and new people come in almost daily and uh, it's always a good thing. Kyle Mason is founder and executive director of the North End Family Centre. He is stepping down as the executive director of the centre, which again is located at 1344 Main Street. Kyle, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate the time. Oh, thank you guys. And thanks for what you've done for Winnipeg and the community and of course what your team has done as well. I think there's tremendous change, positive change and uh I think uh, you set the groundwork for a lot more good stuff to happen around there. Well, I really appreciate the time, guys. And CJOB has been a tremendous supporter from day one. And uh, I, I know that CJOB will continue to stay involved with the North End Family Center, but uh, for the Family Center, but also for me personally, I always want to say thanks.
All right, Kyle Mason. Kyle Mason is our guest on 680 CJOB. Global News at 3 o'clock is up next. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling this week and next week. A long-deserved, long-earned vacation for Greg Mackling, who actually I think is he's going to be coming in a little bit later <laughs> to record the uh, the Bomber podcast, the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. So even though he's on vacation, he never stops working. So attaboy, Greg. Uh, but Tristan doing a fine job in his stead, as always. And Tristan, mm-hmm. we had a conversation, well, not we, but we as in 680 CJOB, courtesy of Hal Anderson, had a conversation about national anthems and the poor delivery, the poor execution of national anthems, save for, of course, Stacey Natras, well known to Winnipeg fans. But uh, the Manitoba Moose. Looking for new singers. Yes, indeed. And we did uh, a short interview here with Lindsay Gullett. He's game producer for the Manitoba Moose about the search for the new uh, anthem singer. So we'll let you have a listen to that. The search for the anthem singer. Uh, yeah. Who are you guys looking for? Uh, we're looking for anyone that uh, might find this opportunity Um uh, you know, maybe it's a maybe someone. It's been a dream of someone's, you know, to to sing the anthem at a at a professional hockey game, or um, you know, maybe it's uh, I don't know, maybe it just someone someone that they see this and they instantly light up and think I want to do that. That's the type of person that we want um, applying, and uh, you know, from there I think uh, you know their <laughs> their skills and and different singing ability will kind of speak for itself after that. So. Um, yeah, we just want someone that's passionate about hockey and likes to sing and, and would love to do this type of thing. Are you just looking for one person? No, we, uh, so we're even right now we have a, a good handful of people that we still have in our rotation and for different reasons or another, we, our list got a little thinner towards the last season and through a busy stretch of games and stuff like that. So we thought, uh, we would do another anthem call. We did this two years ago when the moose came back and, and found our first, uh, you know, first group of people and thought we'd try it again and see if there was any other hopefuls out there and uh, we'll see what comes from it. Are there any prerequisites required? I imagine uh, being a good singer would be one of them, but anything <laughs> yeah. else or, you know, if you can uh, belt it be out, you're sing good. Both anthems. You gotta, you gotta know the U S and the Canadian national anthem uh, in their entirety. And, and, um, you know, in most cases, we're asking our uh, our main anthem singer to sing the American anthem as we have a lot of choirs on most nights. So we're usually splitting the duties on the anthems as it is. But, um, yeah, the, uh, being able to sing both is is, uh, is mandatory. But other than that, you know, we're, we're open to uh, all ages. Um, anyone that's interested and has a good voice we're, that, you know, would be intrigued by the opportunity, we're interested in. Is it a paid gig? It is not. We do provide uh, we do provide tickets for the singer and their guests for the game that they attend. But um, that's why we try and keep a variety of uh, variety of singers in, in the in the loop, just so that we're not overwhelming anyone with too many uh, requests to come in and sing for us. What does the process look like uh, if you are um, you know selected as one of the uh, new anthem singers? Do you have to go through uh, an audition? Do you have to go through training? I, what what does that look like? So basically what we're asking right now from people is to send the, send us in their um, their tapes, I guess if you want to call it. That's probably a bad word for it this day and age. But, uh, you know, record themselves, whether it's with a camera or their cell phone, singing the anthems, uh, both anthems. And then they submit it to our HR staff. And then, 
from that, we're going to, you know, give them a listen and then, uh, and then get back to the people that we want to hear live. And, uh, August 29th is the night where we're going to invite our, invite our, um, you know, next stage down for our live edition in the bowl. And then, uh, we will have a group of people here to, uh, hear them as they perform live and, and kind of make our decisions based on that. Where should people be sending these auditions? Uh, just to our HR at TNSE.com and uh, just title their subjects and their emails, uh, you know, Moose Anthem application or something along those lines, and uh, it should find us. What's the timeline for this? When are you guys hoping to get a new uh, uh, singer in? So we're closing up the, con- the we, we put it out, la- I guess, beginning of this week or last week, and um, I guess it was last week, and it, the uh, applications were closing Sunday. So uh, people have a few, a few, a few days left to get them in, and then uh, we hopefully take about a week there or less to go through them, and then uh, on the 29th is when we're inviting people back to have their live edition. And it doesn't just have to be an individual, right? It could be a, a group or a choir or yeah, a that's team. correct. Uh, primarily, we are looking for individuals, but I mean, if there's a a two or three person group that like would come in and they're interested, like we're not turning that away at all. Uh, we do actually have a choir program in place for schools and uh, community groups and church groups, different things like that, that goes through our uh, ticketing sales staff. So if there are groups out there that uh, are choirs that are interesting, by all means, they can search on our website and uh, Brooke Chorney takes care of those groups and we get those uh, set up that way as well. All right. I think uh, one more time there, Lindsay, what's the best way if uh, this sounds like something that interests uh uh, some of our listeners, what's the best way they can send in uh, their tapes, for lack of a better word? Absolutely. You know, I basically tell people with, you know, cell phones these days, uh, you know, turn on your recording device on your cell phone and uh, sing into your phone. I mean, it, it, it's obviously not perfect, but we get a, you can get a pretty good gauge on, uh, you know, people's ability kind of on that or, or whatever. Or if people have access to it, a recording studio, then by all means, they can do that. But uh, then from there, just take their files and uh, attach them to their email at uh, and send it into our HR at tnse.com. Brett, are you thinking of uh, auditioning as an anthem singer? Uh, no, that would be horrible for everybody. Um, and I, I'm reminded of a scene in The Naked Gun. Now, Lindsay made it very clear that you need to be able to sing both the Canadian and American national anthems. And I want you now. Have you seen the Naked Gun starring Leslie Nielsen from the files of the Police Squad? I have not, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Well, in this scene, Leslie Nielsen he's he's trying to go undercover at this uh, baseball game, a professional baseball game, as somebody that he really shouldn't be. He was trying to to lay low and be casual, but instead he gets dragged out in front of a crowd, and then this happens. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the California Angels and the City of Los Angeles. On the occasion of Her Majesty's royal visit, please welcome internationally renowned opera star Enrico Palazzo. So, ladies and gentlemen, let us honor America as Mr. Palazzo will now sing our national anthem. All right, I think I think that's about all I can take of that. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It's awful. And it just gets worse from there. Uh, so you need to be able to not do that. You need mm-hmm. to be able to do it well. So there you go. If you think you can sing the anthem, you want to step out onto the ice at Bell MTS Place and sing the Canadian and American national anthems, then contact the Manitoba Moose. You asked me the question. Should I ask you the question, Tristan? Am I going to apply for it? Yeah, you can wheel a piano out there. I understand you are a piano player as well. I Yes, uh, I am. Uh, and uh, no, I would not, because as you mentioned, it would not be good for anybody involved, including me. Could you just do it? Just the, I guess you can't do it just the music, eh? No, I can't just, just go there. Have to sing it. Here's O Canada with my own piano solo thrown, thrown in there. No, I don't think that would work. Okay. It is 3.15. Up next, we will be giving stuff away. I'm going to block the lines right now. Guns and Roses tickets are up for grabs. We're going to do that starting in... No, not not in two minutes. Hang on. I'm still on vacation time here, so the brain is just... The synapses are firing a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Traffic starts in two minutes, and then Guns N' Roses. There it is. Brett McGarry, Tristan Field-Jones, we have stuff to give away. There's a good chance you recognize this song. Do you recognize this? Well, I know which band that is. I couldn't tell you the song name, though. The song name is... Wait a minute. Come on. <laughs> it, it takes a little while. Come, no, I know that... Oh, but he is going to... He is about to start speaking. I know I know this song. We even played it yesterday. Welcome, Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> I know that song. Yeah, I... You've reached Tristan's brain. All representatives are busy right now doing absolutely nothing. Please hold. We have tickets to give away for Guns N' Roses. They are playing next Thursday. I can't believe it's almost here already. Next Thursday, August 24th, Investors Group Field with special guests, Our Lady Peace. We have two tickets to give away right now to the person who knows the origin of the band's name. It involves the names of two other bands, we need you to name those bands. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. You need to call 204-780-6868, and you need to be able to identify the names of the two bands that ultimately formed Guns and Roses. And if you know that, then you are going to see the show Thursday, August 24th, Investors Group Field with special guests, Our Lady Peace. Did you know... That when Axl Rose began his gig with ACDC, performing, touring with ACDC. Yeah, which is not ACDC, but go on. Well, still. He had a broken leg. Really? Yeah, and he went out and performed on stage. Well, that reminds me of when, uh, I believe it was Dave Grohl, uh, frontman of the Foo Fighters, that had something similar. He broke his leg. Um, I don't know if it was just before a concert or during a concert, and he kept performing. He actually performed <laughs> with a cast on his leg. It must have been beforehand. Yep. And uh, he kept going at it. So good good on you. That's, yeah. yeah. It looks, it lo- I mean, at first it looks kind of weird. You know, you see this guy with his leg sitting up on uh, on some sort of a rest because you got to keep the legs up if they're injured like that. But uh, it was especially Interesting to see it from Axel Rose, who has a notorious reputation for being a huge diva oh. when it comes to his live performances, taking hours to eventually emerge to go on stage. So uh, it seems like he's sort of matured over the years, and yeah. hopefully the, the show will be excellent next Thursday, August 24th. 
while Savannah takes calls to find out, to try to find the person who knows the origin of the band's name at 204-780-6868. It looks like she might have a winner. We will find out soon. In the meantime, we will take a quick look at your forecast. And then the Clayman has sports. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling. And congratulations go out to Justin Stefanik. Hopefully we're saying that right. Either Justin Stefanik or Justin Stefaniak. Uh, I'm just guessing here based on the spelling. So forgive me, Justin, but it doesn't matter if we know the answer because you know the answer. Today's question regarding Guns N' Roses playing next Thursday, August 24th at Investors Group Field with special guests, Our Lady Peace, was involving the origin of the band's name. The two bands that ultimately formed into Guns N' Roses needed to know the name of those bands. And Justin knew the answer. And the band's name was the result of being comprised of members of two Los Angeles bands. One was Hollywood Rose, which had singer Axl Rose and rhythm guitarist Izzy Stradlin, and L.A. Guns, who had lead guitarist Tracy Guns, bassist Ole Bike, and drummer Rob Gardner. I don't know how to say any of their names because it didn't take long for the L.A. Guns members of the band to leave, either by choice or simply by being forced out by Axl Rose. So Duff McKagan replaced Mike, Slash replaced Guns, and Steven Adler replaced Gardner. So there you go. Hollywood Rose and the L.A. Guns. Interesting. Congratulations, Justin. Um, I wanted to tell you about my vacation adventure. Yeah, before we do that, though, um, I want to address something here. People tend to think of me as the bad guy on this show. Okay. Okay, and I want to I, I want to make this clear that the, the amount of abuse that Brett throws at me on and off the microphone is astronomical. There's no other way to describe that. Okay? What a lie. It is monumental. Let me give you an example here. Let me give you an, let me give you an example here. Michaela texted us saying. You know, earlier, uh, Brett incorrectly said that the uh, patio palooza was resuming on Friday. That, that is, is correct. That it's is resumed. not correct. Resume to take up or go on with again after interruption. Yeah. And it, it, it happened It four o'clock is the beginning of said interruption, four o'clock on Friday. Mm-hmm. And then it picks up again at one o'clock this Friday. No, but it wasn't interrupted because the event happened every Friday. Yeah. Right, so, exactly. So it, it so, ended at 4 o'clock, so and it's basically, resuming this Friday. Brett was wrong, and what happens is uh, Michaela texts us saying, fight nice boys, and then Brett texted her saying, I should slap him, uh, to which Brett has never heard of an HR complaint before. But anyway, what happens is, that's just one example. There was another listener where he said he called me stupid. That's yeah. Brett McGarry for you, Lee. <laughs> yeah. Well, you What's are. What's wrong with that? You are. <laughs> My name's Brett, everybody. For- I tell you what comes to mind. You've reached Brett McGarry's brain. Please hold. Okay. Nobody's here. <laughs> McGarry so was, was right. Little, that was a little bit out of line. And I, I should slap you so for I'm that not, little I'm, outburst. I'm not the bad guy here. Brett is the one who throws all the abuse at me. Yeah, so but- before you accuse me... Take a look at yourself. That's a great song, by the way, uh, covered by uh, CCR. I just remembered that. But anyway, mm. uh, the uh, you know before you look at me as the bad guy, remember that Brett McGarry is the primary suspect in this well, case. Well, no one ever accused you of being a villain or a bad guy, and you're the one who picked that fight about the semantics, about the grammar. And I was I was just happy to to say, hey, Patio Palooza resumes this Friday, and you were the one who decided to to call me out on mm-hmm. whatever grammar mistake you think I made. And even if I made it, I don't care, just to because it annoys you. So, having said that, can we move on, please? How many people did you know on your vacation? 
hopefully many, at least 10, because there were 11 of us who went out to Oak Island this past weekend. I played, I I don't recommend doing this. It's certainly not a complaint. I played nine rounds of golf in eight days. It was, so from, uh, this was Sunday. I'm just going to look at the calendar here. So from Sunday, July, no, pardon me, Sunday, not July, Sunday, August 6th, uh, through Wednesday, August 9th, I played a round of golf each day at Kingswood over in LaSalle, which is a uh, half hour outside of Winnipeg, a wonderful golf course, and they take good care of me there. Um, and then uh, for, then I took one day off from the golf, and then from Friday, August 11th through Monday, August 14th, played five rounds in four days at Oak Island Resort. Okay, so help me out with this for a second here. Five rounds in four days, and I assume these are the complete rounds, all 18 holes, yep. not just uh, uh, half of that. Correct. So how did you squeeze in, because in 18, 18 holes, how many hours does that take? Five, ah, six? No, 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 oh, no, no, God, no. Uh, on a bad day, it could take up to five hours, but it, it, it was around four hours around. Right. So we would tee, uh, the, that day we teed off at uh, nine o'clock, I think, and uh, we... We broke for lunch at 1 o'clock, went back and played at 2.30. We were done by 6.30. Right, okay. Back to the cabin oh, for dinner. All right, no, that's doable, but wow. It was too much golf, and it was, thank God I took yesterday off, because I slept from 10.30 p.m. Monday night until 7.30 a.m. yesterday. And then I, I got up for a bathroom break, and then I went back to bed. <laughs> And I could barely move, and I'm get, it's getting to the point now where like it's it's clear that five rounds in four days for me, unless I make some changes in my life, is not good because my knee still hurts, my feet still hurt. I've got these blisters all over my toes, Ooh. which hurt, and uh, my yeah my my somehow my the middle of my stomach hurts. I guess the, my, it, my, because it was just so much core exercise. I don't know. So anyway. Uh, Again, I'm not complaining that I got to golf so much, and I really just did want to do a debrief here because a couple of weeks ago, during Patio Palooza, we spoke with Trevor McGill over at Oak Island Resort, and this is a place that I, I want to bring to your attention once more. You don't have to be a golfer to to go there. They've got all sorts of stuff. They've got a marina with a boat launch. They have a nice beach. There's a huge campground. They have the the cabins that we rented. So there's all sorts of stuff if you're looking just for a a family getaway. And if you happen to like golf, then it is a great place for you. Whereabouts is this, by the way? Two and a half hours out. It's west of Winnipeg. It's a straight shot up Highway 1, uh, which, by the way, it's a... that explore Manitoba. It's a theme that I know that you're a big proponent of. Yes. And it's always nice. I never, I really get out to Western Manitoba. So just the drive out there, once you get past, well, first of all, Brandon, I think I've been to Brandon four times in my life. Mm-hmm. And I always forget how lovely it is when you go into it, when you take that turn off of highway one, and then you descend into sort of the valley into Brandon. So the view is always really spectacular. And then as uh, so you get past Brandon, there is one point I think it's called the Grand Valley, where you're, you're, you're going all over the Highway 1, and then you can just see for, I don't know how long, this massive valley that you get to sort of descend into. It's just, the view is sensational, and it's not something you're used to around the flatlands of Winnipeg. Yeah, oh, yeah. One of the flattest areas on the planet. Oh, goody. So then uh, once you get past Oak Lake, just there, immediately past Oak Lake, you hang a left on 254. That takes you right into the resort, which is kind of huddled sort of right in the midst of Oak Island, or of Oak Lake, pardon me. And uh, go- the golf course is for 
If you are a fan of golf, it is a little piece of heaven. I cannot implore with you enough that you need to go out there. Trevor is the the guy at the resort, and Ken is the guy in the pro shop who took such wonderful care of us. And, um, yeah, it was spectacular. I can't think of a... there are, there are very few places I can I can think of a better recommendation to make to go golf five times in four days. And as a, as an extra bonus, Brett's left hand is considerably uh, whiter oh. than his right hand. I I was looking at that throughout the show, and I thought, holy moly! It's obvious which one your glo- your golf glove was on. Oh my my farmer tan is just spectacular right now. <laughs> um, oh, we did well. Yeah, I got a little bit of color on the on my chest and arms as well because we had a, a dad bod flotation party <laughs> dad bod <laughs> flotation party yeah, we, we all bought floaty uh, devices flotation devices we, we bought tubes and we went out onto the lake and i'm sure it was a rather hideous sight for most of the people there <laughs> 10 guys are <laughs> all out of shape out there floating around so yeah oak island resort i can't recommend it enough whether you want to go golfing or whether you just want a place for your family it's uh, sensational. Explore Manitoba. There you go. That's my plug. And uh, I'm like I said, I still kind of hurt from the vacation, but but totally worth it. Absolutely worth there it. There we go. That's all that matters. And up next, we're going to hear from Richard Cloutier, Julie Buckingham, to tell us what's coming up on the news. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field Jones filling in for Greg Mackling, just entering the studio right now. We have one Richard Cloutier who is about to tell us what is coming up on the news. Good afternoon, Richard. Hey, and Julie should be on her way here very, very shortly because we are celebrating laughter. Mm. And I think she was looking for the promo of you and your regular partner in crime, Greg Mackling, about you guys' laughing all the time. Yep. Like this show is a barrel of laughs. And uh, so we've got a couple of segments celebrating International Tell-A-Joke Day. And in about 20 minutes, we're going to introduce you to a certified <laughs> laughter yoga leader. Oh, my goodness. Is it just me or is there always like yoga nowadays isn't just yoga. There's goat yoga or hot yoga or now laughter yoga. There's always that kind of hyphen to it. I'm thinking the three of us should go out and do some yoga together. No. No, that would be a disaster for everyone involved. Well, maybe not you, Richard, but for myself, and I get the feeling, Brett, it might be a bit of a disaster. You hurt now. Yeah, well, I did. It's funny that you bring that up, Richard, because I did just tell uh, listener uh, 204-780-6868 that I think I need to take up yoga. That was me posing as that listener, oh, by the way. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Rich, we had a discussion with uh, Kevin Toyne earlier in uh, in the show regarding the uh, blockade and the protesters at the Parkerlands, and a couple of our listeners were wondering if we'd hear from the protesters themselves, and we said we have reached out to him. We've tried to get uh, a line out. They said they wouldn't be available until pretty much after our show would be done here. We'll see if, uh, yeah, we'll see uh, what's the latest on that. Now, as far as the the legal process is concerned, they are still trying to get those protesters removed. That's on the slow course right now. Those protesters can stay there, it seems, at least until they get their hearing in November. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we'll see what happens because the appeal, the hearing, I believe uh, Kevin Toy mentioned it was August 30th. So that's certainly a uh, to be determined. And Jules, we're talking to uh, Monster Canada about that big stress survey that they have out. Uh, really, one in four of us have uh, left a job because of stress on the job. Let's see. 
One, two, three. Oh, there's four of us. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, as as McGarry is doing something right now, is apologies for my tardiness. I was looking for a certain, what we call in this business, promo. Yeah, and we talked about that already. A Mackling and McGarry promo yeah, with the laughing. So I was we looking for it. that, but we talked I didn't about have already. any luck finding it. So thank you for laughing live. It, <laughs> You're it's welcome. Much, much better that way. <laughs> Okay. I knew I had a guarantee. She's still there. cracking up on it. because we got fart jokes for you later, yeah. right? Oh. I can't help it. I can't help it. It makes me yeah. laugh. That's one of those things where we all like to think we're grown up and we've gone past the oh, fart no. joke. No, you never grow out of that. No, actually, I remember uh, early on in my career, there was a guy that produced an entire CD. <laughs> oh, sorry. Of. Of burping and farting, he put a bunch of guys in a in a studio, and then they listened to them and they named them. And we used to ha- play one every single day. Really? Yes. Like it might have been like, you know, like the trumpeter sounds, and then it was like, you know, they were all right named, on. and oh, I found it hilarious, but it didn't last very long. Yeah. People complained. The news goes into the ditch after four. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Straight in there. And of course, uh, the latest uh, from Washington and Ottawa on the NAFTA negotiations. We've got uh, several interviews regarding that because it means uh, billions in trade and thousands of jobs. Richard Cloutier, yeah. Julie Buckingham, and fart jokes. And more. Oh, Tristan. Pardon. My goodness. That's all the time we oh, have. One Brad of McGarry. our listeners was accusing it us of being... in here. I'm glad it's not scratch and, and sniffing. Oh, boy. Okay, Tristan think... Field-Jones. Right. Savannah Peer is on the board today, filling in for Jeffrey Forte, who is coming in next to work with Richard and Julie. And thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry with guest host Tristan Field-Jones on 680 CJOB.